I am Daniel Budd. For those of you who uh, do not know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And this Sunday is a standalone Sunday. We are kind of in between. We had a sermon series on the seven deadly sins. And this morning, um, it's a standalone sermon that was suggested, the topic by the shepherd leaders. They are the shepherd leaders kind of functioning as elders who pray for each and every one of us, including those that are just visitors and yet uh, have not made a decision whether to join but still worship here. And they suggested that we should uh, encourage each other to look at the scripture and the role of God's word in our lives. So that's what we do this morning. Everyone encounters adversity, I think. And at least three responses. One is to work hard to get out of it, to work creatively. And when these two answers do not work, we just have to rely on God. And we can either say it's either a God act or is God's intervention in our lives, but it's something beyond us. So maybe you remember there was a guy called uh, Booker T. Washington. He was an African-American and born in slavery. And he was the first African-American to be uh, on a U.S. postal stamp in 1940. He was born as a slave and worked for a master. He was not allowed to own any books or to have a library. He was not allowed and have no access to education, and yet he uh, started to read the books that he was carrying for the children of his master. He was a self-educated man. He studied so hard, worked so hard to serve and to grow up and to uh, develop his mind and soul and heart that he was uh, an advisor to two of the U.S. presidents, Roosevelt and Taft, and he received even doctorary uh, honorary degrees from uh, prestigious universities like Harvard. He knew that hard work pays off. If you are in a tribulation, in adversity, you have to work hard. And maybe you also heard of this story. There was a guy, um, Dave Galloway, who wrote a story about somebody in the East. He was a store owner. He had a little store, a shop, and uh, he was doing well. But as urban development comes, you know, um, two bigger stores came right to the left and to the right of his little store. So he thought, okay, I'm wiped out. There's no way I can compete with these other stores. So one day as he went home and contemplated, you know, kind of the end of his business, he came up with a creative idea. He spent most of his money on a huge poster. It was an ad. And went to the best company that made ads. And he had the best ad that covered his entire business. And he said like this, main entrance here. Sometimes creative work can save us. But there are other times when neither hard work nor creativity works. And the story in our text is some of those stories. And maybe you heard of the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. And they are desperate. They uh, are disillusioned. There's no hope for them. They kind of are deflated and depressed. And they talk on that road about what happened. Is the day of Easter. Is the day of the resurrection of Christ. They don't believe that he is resurrected. And then Jesus comes and says, So what are you discussing together? What are you discussing together? And this is the topic of our, what are you discussing together, they ask, you know. 
And this is how the story goes. Now that the same day, which is the day of Easter, a Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Then Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. They were very depressed at that point in time. You see, we have all, exp- all of us have expectations, but what, what is going to happen with us? What is God going to do to us, right? We grow up in the church and we say, well, if I am faithful to him and I bring my kids and, and I raise my kids in the covenant community, then he's also going to bless us. He's going to give us health. He's going to give us health, wealth, some sort of prosperity, a good life. But the truth is, all of us, sooner or later, will face adversity. We'll face things that are too big to conquer. And in a way, we have to revise our expectations, you know. So what are our expectations in a broken world? And one way you can look at the disciples, these two guys, they were discussing the headlines, the news headlines, right? They were discussing what happened in the last few days. And they were depressed because of that. Let's look at some of the news. Just yesterday, I pulled out some of the news um, uh, online newspapers, okay? So look at this one. This is in New York Times. College football. Michigan's athletic director quits amid amid growing rancor. Education legally high at the Colorado campus. Politics. U.S. midterms. Southern Democrats run from Obama to survive. Better staffing seen as crucial to Ebola treatment in Africa. This is the lady that survived the Ebola. And then you say, what about the church? Well, in church, church news, right? Goodbye, Mars Hill. Mark Driscoll's multi-site empire will sell properties and dissolve. That's from Christianity Today. And then another one from Christianity Today is on the edge of extinction. For For Mideast Christians, 2014 has been a year of bloody disaster. Could this be the end of these earliest churches? Well, these are not necessarily all of them encouraging headlines, right? It can discourage you. You say, what's going on, right? You look, there's so much violence, there's so much discouragement in the world. And Jesus, the same thing with the disciples. They are so downcast. They look at the news and they say, we, you know, so what are you discussing among ourselves? And they are depressed. They look down. They say, everything is not the way we expected. And then Jesus said, what are you talking about? And they said, don't you know the news? And they say, what news? Jesus says, what news? Can you tell me what news are you referring to? And then they say, the news about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet. But our leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they they throw him over to the Romans and they crucified him. But we, that is in contrast to everything that happened to him, we had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
In a broken world, our expectations are not matching often with the reality. And that brings sadness, disappointment. So what can we do? And one thing that we can do, I think, is to go back to the Bible. You can read the world, you can interpret the world, the events in our lives as a person, as a family, but also as a society, culture, and world. And you can say, well, in one hand, we are holding the, the news of the day, the headlines, and we can call ourselves biblically balanced Christians. BBC is not British Broadcast Company, but it's biblically balanced Christians, which means in one hand, we hold the news. We read the news, we read the culture, we interpret, we know what's going on, but on the other hand, we have the Bible. And we do not forget that we read these two together. We are biblically balanced Christians. We engage the world. But you see, many people have hopes that they will, even today, they will have the Bible. And you think, well, the Bible is so available that we don't even need it. Some of our young ones, young adults, they even discard the Bible. And it's very interesting that there is a fight over the Bible. There is kind of a rejection movement of the Bible. And, and what's interesting to me, the most fierce critics of the Bible are people that do not believe that there is a God. We call them the new atheists. You know? they, they look in the Bible and they say, God is so horrible. You know, throw the Bible away. You are just delusional. You are brainwashing the new generation with that book you know, that is so evil. But I want you to take a different look at the Bible. The Bible is precious. Many people in the world pay a price even to have a Bible. Or pay a price to say that they believe in the Bible. Many, many pay a steep price. Just watch this uh, video clip with me. We use this at Alpha, but just it's a good reminder for us.
Well, then, then they shot him. <laughs> no, uh, you know, many, 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 many Christians will pay a steep price to just have a Bible. By the way, do you know that when I grew up, I had a Bible that was smuggled in my country, and a lot of them were Dutch people. They came with a band full of uh, kids, you know. They, they love to have kids, and they will just uh, make them smell bad and cry a lot at the border so that they can smuggle a lot of Bibles without being seen and being detected. And um, when I was a teenager, later on in 18, uh, 18 years old, I was drafted in the military. And my, the Bibles that they were smuggling, I, I had the opportunity to get one because they were small and easy to hide, maybe like this, this much of this Bible. And they were really good because they had a fine print and they had cross-references right there in a verse. So every verse had about five or ten cross-reference verses. So that was so good for us to just go back and see the link between the Old Testament, the New Testament, the prophecies, and how it works all together. We didn't have Bible commentaries, you know, biblical literature, anything. There was not such a thing, you know, a, a store. So at 19, I went in the army, and I will show you uh, of the pictures, right? And uh, when I went in the army, <coughs> I knew that I cannot just openly uh, profess my faith. But one of the things that I did is I loved to have my Bible. I was able to hide it. We just had a wooden box, you know, a little box like a briefcase made of wood that my father made and a lock. So um, I kept it under, you know, our bunk beds. But uh, over, over the months of serving there, I was able to witness from the Bible to some people there. The Bible was my, my blessing because I was able to read it secretly. You know, I would just go and I didn't show it to anybody because I knew that I'd again get in trouble. But one time... I, uh, I dare to, to communicate my joy of reading the Bible and sharing with some other folks to my family. And I knew we had a pay phone, you know, but that's a, a phone that you put a coin in. For those of you who don't know, you know, <laughs> you put a coin in and then you talk. So I knew that that's tapped, so I couldn't talk to my family by the phone without being, you know, tapped and listened to. But I said, okay, I'm going to mail a letter to them from outside the military unit, and maybe they, they won't catch that, you know, they won't. So I did that, I went outside and I mailed it, and I just put one or two lines there, and I said, and I'm so enjoying, you know, uh, sharing the gospel and, you know, making the Bible alive for people that, you know, that are close to me in the military and they don't believe and they don't um, have a Bible. So a few weeks later, <coughs> there was a lieutenant colonel uh, of the Secret Service, and he uh, asked me to come to his office, and then he was uh, basically saying, hey, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just, whatever. Um, you see those two guys, uh, we were playing in the brass band and only the people that played in the brass band were kind of invited. And who were they? Basically, they were evangelical Protestants because in the churches, they will learn how to play an instrument. So they said in 89, we want to have a brass band. So this was the band. Some of the band members were not believers, but this was one of the Pentecostals to my left. And the other one is the brethren. So... It was a joy for me. I didn't even know that they were there until they pulled us to play in the band, you know, because then uh, we discovered each other. Hey, hey, you are a believer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so he said, you know, you are evangelizing. I said, no, I don't, this uh, secret officer, service officer. And I said, no, I don't. I'm just, uh, you know, doing my duty. And then he pulled a copy of my letter to my family. I even didn't know that they are copies, really, to tell you that we've never heard of that, you know. And I looked at it, and he pointed to the line. And then he said, hey, you know, he threatened that he was going to send me to a disciplinary kind of unit. And 
depose me and whatever, you know, so do bad things and stuff. And then he said, where's your Bible? And I said, well, it's in my, it's in my box, you know. He said, okay, let's go there. So he came and took the Bible and, uh, but whatever, you know, he found other journals and stuff. He took everything that was paper, kind of. But the point is that um, the Bible was very precious to me. And a few months later, just a few months later, um, he never followed with the threat. I, I was kind of always expecting something, but he never followed. But the freedom came, right? The Berlin wall, f- wall fell. And I was duty on the gate of my unit. And as I was opening the, the door for cars, somebody said, hey, that's the lieutenant colonel, you know, the secret office uh, guy, the secret service um, chief here. And he said, this is the last time he's in the unit. So he's going out, but he will n- you'll never see him again because... When freedom came, they started to move them away, you know, because it was too, too threatening for them to stay in the same place because they were part of the nomenclatura, right? So as he was going, you know, I looked at him for the first time with some freedom, you know. I didn't fear him anymore. I just looked at him and smiled, and I waved, and I opened the gate, and he left. And I've never seen him again. But many Christians today, they pay a price for even calling themselves people of the Bible. In the world, it's not easy to be a believer. And as you see, it's becoming interesting even for us here, right? In our clashes with the culture. But we do live in a, in a, in a world in which our expectations are clashing with reality. And we have to kind of match our expectation. In that time, before freedom came, I didn't expect that I will leave a lot. I mean, I didn't say, you know, oh, my life, I will have kids and stuff. No, I expect, you know, things are going to go from bad to worse. They are going to maybe put us in jail and slowly kind of uh, finish the church because that, that was their plan. The whole state, in fact, our, you know, we were part of the USSR. Just, just Google it, those of you that don't know what yes. <laughs> But we were told, you know, we were told that there's no God, so don't believe in the Bible. This is one of the stupidest books, you know. And interesting, even the new atheists today in the free world, they argue with the Bible against it, you know. They say, well, you look at the Bible, you know. Well, what, what is that? You know, therefore, there's no God because he cannot be this mean and evil, you know. But we look at the Bible and say, this is the hope. This is the most gracious, the love letter of God to us. So then the second one, I think the second point here is the Scripture as the solution. You know, the disciples were really, these two disciples were really disillusioned. You know, they, they had this big expectation about Christ. We hope that he will be a general, that he will be a captain, that he will come with armies and redeem Israel. And they are so de- deflated. You know, all of their hopes are gone. And this is what Jesus says to them. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. A lot of interesting things here. First of all, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was he explained to them? The current news. He explained to them through the Bible how to interpret culture, what was happening. He said, you look at the news and it's devastating. Well, let me bring the scripture to you. Now, we have the Old and New Testament in one. But when Jesus was talking to them, there was no New Testament. It was just the Old Testament. So 
he, he said when he opened the scripture, basically was the entire Old Testament, all the scriptures concerning himself. And there's a big question today, and the question is for us. Is the Old Testament inspired? Is it the same on an equal party with the New Testament? A lot of the people in the world, they say, well, it's only the New Testament. We are looking because the Old Testament seems so evil. God is mean, angry, and just revengeful, you know. But I just want to say, look at how the Old Testament is used by the New Testament. In fact, I have a friend who uh, pointed again to me. He said, every time the New Testament mentions the word scriptures, it refers to the Old Testament. And then look at Jesus. He is the one that gives authority to the Old Testament writings. If you lo look at Jesus' moral life, when the devil came to him, he said, it is written. That was his only argument when he faced temptation. He didn't look at the devil and say, well, let's negotiate. You know, what do you think about this? And, you know, uh, how do you interpret this text? You know, uh, do you think that this is culturally bound or is universally true? He said, it is written. It's in stone. It's set. In fact, Jesus then says, the heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will stand. And then... In the Old Testament, Jesus found his mission and identity. He looks back and he says, you know, if you want to look at myself and understand me as a person, you know, just take two, two, ver two verses, two texts. One is from Isaiah, the suffering, the image of the suffering servant. He is the only one who joined that with Daniel, the son of man in great glory. And basically what Jesus was saying, yes, I am going to have this glory, but through suffering. Nobody else did that before. And then finally, his public discussions and debates, you know, with the Sadducees, with the Pharisees, the final court of appeal in all of them is the Old Testament scripture. When he wanted to just put a period on a discussion, he will just quote the scripture. What it is written, what do you read, he will say. Lord, you know, uh, how, what, what do I need to do to, you know, obtain eternal life? And they would say, so what do you read in the law and the prophets? It was authoritative. It was equal to the New Testament for him. And then even some people say, well, how about when in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, well, it was sad. You know, you heard that it was sad. You know, the six contradictions, right? But just pay attention. Jesus said it was sad, not it was written. Or it is written. It was said. It was the oral tradition. The traditions of the, Pharise of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Not the written text of Moses that he was commenting on. So the scripture definitely. The Old Testament is elevated. But then he also interprets the headlines through the scriptures to them. And I, I, I'm just guessing now what he must have said right to them. But definitely they saw themselves as subjects to the Roman Empire. That's why they say, we thought that he's going to come and liberate us, change the circumstances. And Jesus might have said, you know what? Your origin is special. You are created in God's image and likeness. Don't look at yourself just because the Romans are now ruling the world, Romans subjects. You're not Roman subjects, first of all. You are, in a way, because you live in this empire. But first, and foremost, you are created in God's image and likeness. You are the children of God, covenant people. Second, you are not just here for political freedom. 
Your lives are sacred and eternal. Heaven is your destiny. And it's not an earthly Israel. They said, we thought that you will come and just give us freedom, political freedom. Can you liberate us? And there is that social gospel so prevalent today too. You know, they say, well, if you really believe, you know, that God can save you, it has to save you from your chains, you know. Well, the, the good news is that a lot of people today are in chains for their faith and they are freer than most of us because of Jesus Christ and his freedom and his change of the heart. They thought that he has to come as a political liberator, right? Your sin requires satisfaction. Jesus' blood is sufficient. You don't need a temple anymore. They have to learn that. And then Jesus' resurrection, which they didn't believe yet, is the hope of salvation. Your hope is not just to be prosperous and healthy and wealthy. Like I said, that, that's one teaching that even today is in the church. If you are God's child, then you have to be healthy and wealthy. Really. You have to be happy. People come and tell us, you know, I, I cannot, you know, in, in, you know, like when I grew up, it was so tough to, to get somebody, you know, to divorce because you almost like you had to kill somebody or, you know, to abuse, you know. Now, I just, I just don't feel fulfilled in this marriage, you know. I'm just, I mean, I'm not happy. I deserve to be happy, right? So he says, no, it's not about your happiness only. That's a part of it. It's not bad to be happy. But what do you tell people that are laying their life for Christ right now? Well, don't uh, just convert to Islam because you need to be happy too. So it's not just prosperity or liberation, you know. Well, we don't need only liberation from sin or, I mean, from, from shackles of oppression of the Romans. Because you have free countries today in Europe, they, they don't acknowledge God. So you can free somebody, say, well, you are free, you know, you are free and you are liberated from your shackles. Look, you are not, there's no more Roman oppression. But they need a gospel that transforms the heart. And this is what the disciples didn't understand, you know, and you can contrast them with Mary Magdalene. She was, just before this story, she was the one who went to the tomb and saw that Jesus is not there. And then she saw Jesus. But do you know who she was? She met Jesus earlier as a sinner. And she experienced Jesus as a savior from her sin. And then she sees Jesus and says, Rabboni, teacher. And she says, and he says, in reply, Mary. But these disciples, they were blinded by their desire to see their national identity saved. Their nation saved. Oh, we have Israel. They, they has to be. You know, we have to, you know, we believe that he is going to come and just restore Israel and the freedom that we need and just redeem us from the Romans. Jesus basically tells them, you know what? The authority that I have is authority beyond what political powers can give to you. Just look a little bit at the powers of God, right? The authority that we have in the church is from God the Father through Jesus Christ. When he goes up to heaven, he says, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth. But then he gives that authority to the scriptures. And the scriptures is the one that has authority over us. And you might say, well, how is that authority coming to us? Well, there are at least five traditions here. And if you look at the Lo Roman Catholic Church, the authority comes to them through the Pope and through the cardinals, you know. Often you will hear them say, well, I believe what the church, the Pope says or believes, right? 
If you look at the Orthodox, the Eastern Church, which is the majority of the church where I come from, they will say there are several authorities, including the Bible, the creeds, the seven ecumenical confessions, the life of the saints, and the liturgy of the church. If you look at the liberal theology, they say, well, on any issue, if you look at the Bible, the authority comes from reason, from experience, and from the consensus of the educated people. You just, you know, you, there's a consensus there, right? The Anglican Church, they use the three pieces, tradition, reason, and experience, to give authority to the scripture. But I will say that the reform and evangelical, they say, no, authority for us, it doesn't come for anything higher than Christ. And then through the scripture, and even Christ gives authority to the church, to the, through the scripture. For us, the scripture is the authority that finally interprets life for us, explains to us what, what we need to believe, what we, how we need to behave, how we need to let Christ transform us. And this is what Jesus does, right? When he was at a table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And at that moment, they were in the, the you know, they, 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 they listened to the scripture, the explanation, and now they are in the house, and then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their side. And they asked to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's the Old Testament. I like how Rembrandt caught that moment, you know, of the revelation of Jesus. Immediately we say, so, okay, so that's for the disciples. You know, they saw everything through the lenses of Scripture. Jesus kind of interpreted and said, this is what's happening. The Scripture is all about me. We don't read the Scripture just for information, right? Or even for moral teaching. We read, we read the Scripture because they talk about Jesus. So what about us? We say, what do we do? Well, like uh, our middle schoolers, they memorize James. So I said, just try to memorize verses and use them in your life as Jesus used them. Maybe work toward becoming a biblically balanced Christian. Somebody that looks at the news but also looks at the scripture and says, what do we do with it? And never put the news or the culture over the scripture. But always use the scripture as the lenses. Because that's what we need to do. Use the Bible as God's lenses through which you interpret the human life. And then read and meditate the Bible for transformation, not only for information. Let the Bible transform your heart. And let's look at this story again with uh, some of the Alpha help. There was once a very wealthy man called Earl Smith. Everyone in his family was incredibly rich. Earl was so rich that he didn't need to work. Instead, he started taking drugs. Earl took such hard drugs that at the age of 30, he ended up in hospital. While he was recovering in hospital, someone came to visit him, and they gave him a gift, a copy of the New Testament. Earl was thrilled, because he realized that the pages of his new Bible were perfect for rolling joints. So he rolled and smoked his way through New Testament every week. But when he got to John's Gospel, Earl finally started reading. As a result of reading John's Gospel, Earl came to faith Jesus Christ, and his life was never the same again. It affected everything in him and everyone around him, including his psychologist, a beautiful doctor called Pam. She simply couldn't understand it. She said to Earl, I have everything. I've got a great job, money, family, friends, and yet inside I feel totally empty. 
Meanwhile, your life is a complete mess, but still you have this extraordinary piece of yourself. So Ariel told you all that you've learned in the garden, to explain what it felt like to be loved by Jesus Christ. Ariel wants to know to be Jesus herself. And now her mother. We do need to believe in the power of the scripture to transform lives today as they did in in the pages and in the time of the Bible, right? So our challenge for, for maybe for the next, uh, I, w- I will say, just make the Bible and reading, discussing the Bible, discussing the news in the light of the Bible, something that is a priority in our families. Let's make that. Just say, you know, I'm going to be comfortable when I go home to just open the Bible and talk about, you know, if I see something on TV or we read something on our iPad, what's wrong with looking at the Bible and wrestling together as a family or as friends? Those who are not, they don't have family close. And then it's a challenge for next year. How about if we plan to say, okay, we're going to read the Bible from cover to cover in 2015. I know it's going to be hard to read about three, four verses. It's going to take some creativity to find time in your schedule, but also it's going to take God's intervention and the power of the Spirit to understand it. For many of us, the Old Testament especially, is difficult to understand. But through the power of God, and especially if you want to uh, read um, a, b- a one-year Bible plan, you know, this is for women, and it's just divided in few nice verses, and it uh, also uses the New Testament, so you are not like bogged down. You say, well, it's just the Old Testament. Oh, you have some from both. And this one is a chronological one-year Bible. And you can buy something like this easily. And I hope that by the beginning of the year, we can have something on our website and say, hey, this is where we are. Let's read the Bible and let's follow these schedules. And you can pick whatever Bible you want. Or maybe you say, you know, I'm going to use my phone or my tablet and I'm going to get these emails. Whatever it works for you. Just find a way to let God's word speak to you, to the situation in which you are, to the trials and the tribulations that we, you go through and give you hope. Hope that we are not just slaves to sin, but we are freed in Christ to love him and to love each other and to follow him faithfully. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you transform hearts and lives through the power of your word, that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword and is able to clear the sin and inspire us and transform us, and through the power of the Spirit, we ask that you will give us a special love for your Scripture. May the Scripture have a central place in our family and in our individual lives. And may we be faithful to you. May you give us the wisdom to be a Bible-based church, a church that is based on your teaching, on your love, on your character, on your compassion and love for all people. So may we grow to that level in which we love everybody, And we stand grounded on your scripture in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's uh, blessing. As we leave from this place, yes, this is a fireman, so don't, don't be. Say if anybody along the back wall over here, cars, truck, we need uh, one of you at least to come to this back corner over there. We had an issue with a guy.
inspection, but I guess he keyed a bunch of cards. So we're going to check your cards, make sure whose did he did get. We know he got five or six of them. So we did get his uh, coat and cell phone, so maybe we can still get them yet. But uh, if uh, you want to meet us back here, take a look at your car, see if it did get done, and then uh, we got police on the way right now, so do a report. Well, remember to read your Bibles in situations like this. <coughs> <laughs> there is something to rely on. So as you leave from here and worried maybe that your car was uh, broken into or vandalized, May the love of God the Father and uh, the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of His Spirit give you peace and also inspire you to let the Word of God transform you in the coming week. Amen. You may go in peace.